This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Coming up at 3.30, John Morosi will join us on the program. We'll talk some baseball with him. And then at 4 o'clock, Seahawks GM John Schneider will join us for the first time this season. We will speak to him every Thursday up until the first round of the NFL draft on April 25th. In fact, I believe we will speak with him on that night, yeah. night of the first round. So uh, every Thursday, starting today, we will be out here at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center talking with the Seahawks GM. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, meanwhile, <clears throat> just looking at the defense, what what KJ Wright had some thoughts on what he thought. You know, he's he's explaining what the identity was supposed to be. It wasn't, but what it was supposed to be for the defense last season. What was it? It is supposed to be aggressive. That was the the word. <clears throat> yep. That was the word. When I, I went in a few production meetings, when I was doing myself. From with the media, that was the word: aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. Mm-hmm. Game one of the preseason, the first play he called was a slasher, a blitz right off the edge. So that's what it's supposed to be, and it, it was not. It wasn't. It, it wasn't. wasn't. It it didn't live mm-hmm. up yeah. to. So it wasn't, I guess, as aggressive as we thought it was going to be. I don't. I don't know. What does that mean? Blitzing. I, well, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Is it? You know, should they have? been more aggressive in terms of blitzing more often should they have been what 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 defines an aggressive defense versus one you feel is not is it is it that is it yeah i think in certain certain situations um you you blitz and you you don't mind running stuff that are other coordinators perceived to be sort of risky you know you don't mind taking risks and you know like a, a couple cover zero blitz is basically you know zero means because whenever you hear the coverages it's like the back end of the field if it's cover three there's three guys back in two guys back yeah. yeah in the and you know from 15 yards or so and beyond but zero means you're manned up and you got no help you got none so that's that's where you know uh, that's the first thing you, you go to when you think of aggressive, you know, but I mean, to me, it was just, <sighs> was it lack of aggression? Cause it seemed like it was just poor form. It seemed like it was yeah. poor execution as opposed to, wow, they're very passive and they're, they're giving the, the huge cushion to receivers. It felt like we yeah. hear every, every coach say, we're going to be physical. Mm-hmm. Either side of the ball, I feel like that's a cliche. You hear, we're going to be a physical team. Well, right. same thing with aggressive. Yeah. You know, I just, so uh, I'm trying to, to me, they're all just cliches that you just throw out there. And I don't, I don't remember, you know, KJ, I was in the same meetings. I don't remember them, you know, emphasizing it that much. But, yeah, I mean, I think everybody says that, you know. It's like, what are our core values? It's like, well, we're going to hit people and we're going to run around and we're <laughs> going to be fast. We're going to play fast. I mean, I don't, I don't really know exactly what that means. Um, so that, that's the, the thing about – I thought to me what it looked like, it was almost like every week they were installing a new defense. Like they were uncertain. Yeah, yeah. And so then this is what – and the, you know, and look, <laughs> it, it obviously wasn't that way, but it just kind of felt like that. And that's one of the things that Mike McDonald addressed. You know, he said, hey, we're going to put in these concepts or defensive schemes, basically, that you can master. And then once you get that down, then we'll start layering in more stuff. And right. so, you know, and I, I like that. And I think it's it's all about teaching. It's all about how he's going to get from point, 
you know, A to point Z just because, um, you know, it's all about assignments and things like that. And if he can, he sounds very confident that he can do that in a way where he used the word master, you know, like every, every person that plays is going to be able to answer every question, know what to do. And then we'll add, you know, the complicated things later, the situational type of things like short yardage and goal line and, you know, third and forever, uh, Hail Mary, all that stuff. And then, you know, you adjust to your opponent. But, you know, you don't adjust too much. Yeah. You know, and I felt like there was a lot of that that was going on last year, but just wasn't consistent. There wasn't anything that they go back to. Uh, Mike McDonald here breaking down the key to their defensive philosophy. You're always trying to dictate term as best as you can to the offense, and that's easier said than done because the offense is trying to do the same thing to you. So there's a little bit of a back and forth to that. And I think one of the principles of the organization as I sat in, in Baltimore is we want to be aggressive and we want to be pushing the envelope. And so how do you do that while having being smart with the resources that you're allocating? You know, you want to have maximal return for minimal investment. I mean, it's easy to blitz zero every snap if you want, and you can apply pressure that way, but you can also do it mentally and by how you play and the things you're presenting to the offense because they got a lot of stuff going on over there too. And obviously those guys are pros and there's a lot of great coaches out there, but if you can apply pressure over games, you know, that's, that's hard to, to do consistently for 60 minutes. How do you how do you apply pressure mentally? He said, "Well, I think what he meant there is that there's always the threat of blitz, right? You know, that, so you show it enough to yeah. put it in their head and feel like, okay, they now have to account for this. Yeah, and that you know we saw that in uh, when I did the roll the tape thing, that one bit that was on the internet Moyer sent me. Um, it was talking about how the defensive linemen were up and ready to go, and then they're pulling back, you know, dropping back, and same thing with the linebackers. So. I'm assuming that's what that's what he means there. That you know you you know that these guys are gonna they're gonna come after you almost every time, and they don't they don't mind taking a little bit of risk. And and I think you know that's that kind of it sort of infuses confidence into your players. It's like hey they they I got this guy one on one. They trust me enough yeah. to to do that. And I think the more trust you get, the better you become, just because you feel confident. So yeah, I I think. That's that's probably what he meant there, but you know, again, he uses the word aggressive, just like <laughs> like KJ was talking about. But you know, whether or not you actually put that into, I mean, nobody's going to come out and say, "Well, we're going to be kind of passive." Yeah, we're going to play soft we'll defense. Catch, catch blocks, <laughs> catch blocks, go under blocks. Yeah. You know, if a uh, guy pick, misses the tackle, it's pick not whatever a gap you want, whatever yeah. looks good to you. Yeah, Which gap yeah. looks good? <laughs> Occupy that one. Uh, one more before the break here. McDonald just talking about. And I think you just touched on this a bit. You can't implement the defense. You, you can't just throw it in and say, there's the defense. you got to make sure the players obviously fully understand it. I think the players understand it's our responsibility to teach them how it fits and why. And the players, they're smart. They know. So what they'll, they'll see the, the benefit of that, and they'll understand that their role can be productive and they can have success as well. But when it's disjointed and there's independent contracting, you got no chance, and, and the evidence is on the tape, so it's, it's an easy sell. Independent contract. I like that. I do too. Well, yeah, and he, and he hit the one thing you you always talked about: the why. Mm-hmm. Why are you know they got to understand why we're asking him to do whatever it is we're asking. It needs to make sense to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just remember running defenses like that where there was times where I'm like, okay, I think we got too many checks here. We got it's too complicated, you know. And you kind of go back and forth because the coaches, they really want you to be comfortable and to play your best football because it makes them look good, right? Right. So, you know, I think sometimes it gets overloaded a little bit, but, 
Yeah, I think uh, that's what any player wants, man. They want to be taught. Teach me to be a better player. You know, if you can put me in situations where I can, you know, make big plays, things like that, uh, you're just going to you're gonna love that. All right, coming up, upgrading talent is also a necessity for this defense, and we'll break down the most likely option to do exactly that. That's coming up next with Wyman and Bob, live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center at Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up at 3.30, John Morosi will join us on the program here. We'll talk some baseball with him. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Always a fun conversation with John. We are live at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. It's Wyman and Bob. It's day one of our uh, second season with Seahawks GM and President of Football Operations, John Schneider. He will join us at 4 o'clock today. Looking forward to that conversation. You think he's going to have changed a little bit? You think he comes in with an entourage? Yeah. He'll tell us, don't look me in the eye. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You call me sir. I'll tell you what, man. (laughs) Talk about a busy dude. Yeah. Because, you know, and really for that whole group, and I I don't think Jody Allen went, but Burt Cold went, who's kind of her right hand man on all of these trips oh you know, to talk uh, to the coaches. chuck arnold um yeah i mean it's 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 kind of like you know what they do before the draft and you know they're flying everywhere trying to get you know interview these guys see them in person and it's it's a lot of responsibility so i don't think i just think he's going to be getting less sleep yeah. you know i don't think he's going to put any less attention i think you know um the draft is pretty much his big day like, yeah, he calls it the Catalina wine mixer. It's the big one. Bob. It's the big one. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> I love it. All right. So we'll, we'll talk to John coming up at four o'clock and then John Morosi at three thirty. So a lot to hang out with us. Uh, take a listen to it. Meanwhile, we're talking about, you know, how you how you fix this team, you know, with the holes that exist, whether you think it's on the defensive side, offensive side. Uh, but we had a chance to speak with Nick Baumgartner, who did a did a mock draft that we were talking about. And he explains he had the Seahawks taking an edge rusher out of Florida State with the 16th pick, uh, Jared Verse, uh, and explains why he thinks that would be a good pick. This was kind of a best player available situation, but also, you know, knowing Mike McDonald and what he's been able to do over the years. Verse is a guy who's, he's actually really good. He's one of the top, you know, two in the class that actually would qualify, you know, as a top end first round pick. He's long, he's explosive, he's got, you know, bend, all that sort of stuff. He could be a three-down player. He's got coverage range. You know, McDonald made his bones uh, nationally at Michigan with Aiden Hutchinson and really unlocked a lot of stuff with him as an edge that, you know, helped turn him into the player that he's become. And, you know, during that year they were together, he took him and moved him around and did a bunch of stuff. I think a versatile, athletic pass rusher who can also defend the run and then drop and cover is a guy that McDonald can really do a lot of cool stuff with. What what would you think of a move like that? Because I don't, I, I feel like that's an area we're not certain in terms of who's going to be that guy. Nuoso, when he's healthy, can be that guy. But does he come back 100%? Is he going to be diminished at all? Not sure what to expect there. Uh, Taylor, I think you and I are both equally confused by how his career has gone to this point. He had a year with, what, nine? Was it nine sacks? The previous season and this past season, I I don't know how many times I asked you, Wait, did he? Was he out there? I didn't remember hearing his name called. He just felt sort of anonymous this year. He's so I don't know what to, to expect out. as far as our edge rushers go. Yeah. Well, um, if you can get anything even close to Hutchinson, yeah. I, he was the most obvious. Like it, 
if I didn't know what teams were playing, when you watched a game at Michigan, you you saw him the way he rushed the passer, everything. I'm like that guy's a pro football player. Uh, he just he he was incredible. But, and he's doing it at this level now. Yeah, and yeah, and he's pretty much settled into like it's college for him now. So, um, but yeah, Daryl Taylor, I'm I'm not so sure about. I'm not so sure about this verse guy. I mean, you know, because Nick Baumgartner was was saying. Yeah, it's not very good as far as edge rushers. By the way, the Seahawks are going to take an edge rusher. At, <laughs> he said uh, he is 16. one of the top two of the edge rushers. Yeah, but, but um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was just kind of a joke. But uh, I'll, it's, I'll be very curious to see with, with that. I guess the best bet would be trade back because, you know, like I said, John thinks typically there's 12 to 15 or sometimes 10 to 12 first rounders. And if there's nobody there that's of that talent grade, then uh, you you just move back. Hmm. What about moving up? Could you see him doing that? Yeah. What do you got to get? I don't up? know what to expect with him because I don't really know how much of what we've watched the past fourteen years was him versus Pete. Yeah. You know, when they decided to move back, was that him? Was that were they were both of like mind? Was he going? No, Pete. We got a guy here, and Pete. I mean, I have no idea how that push and pull went. We, yeah. We're, we don't we're really speculate know. from the outside. Yeah. I think I've I've heard that DK when they traded up. To get DK, that was that was John. You yeah. know that he was he was very excited about that. I think they also traded up to get Tyler Lockett as well. So a couple of couple of good trade ups. They move up for Urban. Not sure. I can't remember. I thought he they was moved. a he was a first rounder. Right? Yeah, yeah, he was a first rounder. I don't know if they stayed where they were at if they yeah. moved up a bit. But yeah, it's just you know we're speculating over fourteen seasons of drafts. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, how much was him? How much was Pete? How much was there? We're in lockstep. We agree with this approach. Or, you know, man, I really would have gone this way, but he wanted to go this way. So, yeah, we're, we're going to learn a lot, I think, with this draft. One other area that uh, Nick touched on was uh, he talked about two quarterbacks uh, who, in his opinion, are good fits for teams after the first round. Spencer Rattler's a good guy from South Carolina. Had a really nice senior bowl who I think if you give him time and you give him some room to grow can blossom into a nice player, maybe like in a Jordan Love situation. And I think Michael Pratt from Tulane, uh, who's a player who's got all of the measurables you want. He's got, you know, terrific arm talent. He was late to football, didn't play until some point in his high school career. Had a few injuries early on in his career, but he's also pretty young uh, and is really sort of a guy you could mold and take your time with. And I think that Seattle is one of those teams that, you know, if you can get him in the third round, kind of like what Detroit did with Hendon Hooker last year, what some other teams have done in that second or third round, when you don't need to have him start immediately, but maybe in a year or two, if something weird happens, you know, he can be there. I think it's, the quarterbacks this year are good enough to where if you have a need, it's worth doing it because next year's aren't nearly as good at the top and it's nowhere close to as good depth-wise. So I think this is a year if you have a reasonable need for it in the next year or two, uh, you should probably really look at it. How surprised will you be if they don't draft a quarterback somewhere? Uh, depending on what they do with Drew Locke. I mean, if they, they get him locked down and no pun intended, uh, <laughs> I didn't even try to do that. Slipped right by me yeah. until you said that. But because it was so stupid. <laughs> it was so stealth. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think if they do that, but I, I feel like if they did draft and this is where you take the best player available. But if even if they did get, let's say, do a deal with Locke, get him to be your backup. They still could draft a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, they, if John sees a guy that he thinks, you know, is, I mean, Russell Wilson was a third rounder. So. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they got Geno for two more seasons. 
Locke, they signed a one-year deal. Would they do another one year? That doesn't. You're not really insuring your future. You're just talking about your immediate future. So yeah, maybe they get a young guy. Would they feel like, hey, he's two years away. He'll be ready to go when Geno's deal's up. See what they do. Um, he's already catching some spring training sunshine down in Florida. Our guy John Morosi is going to join us next with Wyman and Bob live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center at Seattle Sports on 710. I've never heard a person walk out of the stadium and say, wow, I wish that game would have included more waiting. He is an endless source of baseball and hockey knowledge. Jose Terrios, el lanzador de Puerto Rico en el Clásico Mundial de Baseball. John Morosi, every week with Wyman and Bob. You're being serious with me right now? Uh, it's a conversation we look forward to each and every week, and as we get closer to baseball season, we'll anticipate it that much more. Joining us from the... Uh, Sunny confines of Florida, I believe. He's out there probably in a tank top and a pair of shorts and flip-flops and sunglasses right now with a drink and an umbrella inside the drink, right? Is that how it's going, John Morosi? Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, That would not entirely be an accurate (laughs) characterization of where I am right now. But I will say this. I will say this. Now, let's, let's see. If, if I can, if I can ask you a quick trivia question, which, which is, which if you know, if you know generally where I've been today will be an easy answer. I am currently now with my right eye seeing a football stadium and my left eye seeing a baseball stadium. Where, where am I in the state of Florida right now? Where am I? That's interesting. Your eyes are going in two different yeah, directions. I was so say, I'm worried about I mean, you. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to dart my eyes in various directions <laughs> to make that a legitimate question. So I'm, I've got like left eye out of my left field division. I've got a baseball stadium, and out of my right field division, I've got a football stadium. JP's Where got uh, right what's now? known as lizard eyes, <laughs> or Brock Hewitt eyes. I, yeah, I, hammerhead I shark. So. I, probably, I probably should have thought. I probably should have thought of the proper anatomical phrasing on that one before it came out of my mouth. But hey, what, what do you got? Well, you're uh, not okay. in Jupiter, anyway, Florida, right? N- not. I'm not in Jupiter. I am actually. For those who have traveled uh, ever to Florida for spring training, I am just parked outside of George M. Steinbrenner Field on Dale Mabry Avenue in Tampa, Tampa. which is directly okay. across the street from the home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So gotcha. it is. Uh, so on either side, you've got so the the parking for the Yankees spring training games is in the north parking lot of the Buccaneers. Stadium. A little, a little trivia question for us. Okay. So, of course, the, the the Mariners have had this charmed existence, spring training in Arizona, ever so convenient in every way. And uh, in Florida, which I, I understand the virtue in both. I love Arizona for the convenience, but Florida has the charm of each individual community in the state that's got a team. Uh, is it has its own nostalgia about it so I, I appreciate both i appreciate the the joys of peoria and I'll, i also think that tampa is a pretty great place to be as well yeah yeah i haven't been to tampa i've been to jupiter to when the cardinals were out there when i was in st louis and it's for that my year. favorite it's yeah. my favorite I, I i say this i say to people it was funny i mentioned to, to lauren shahadi on on the air i think it was yesterday and i'm gonna be network i said you're going to Jupiter's the best place to be and she's like she's really i said it is my favorite place in spring training, Jupiter, Jupiter, Florida is amazing. Yeah, it's not kind of remote, but yeah, nice, nice area. So, uh, meanwhile, the Mariners, as you stated, are out there in Arizona. Pitchers and catchers report. We already got just right out of the gates, John. We got to note that uh, Gregory Santos had some soreness in his lat muscle after a bullpen, so they've decided to dial it back. He won't throw from a mound right away, and 
you know, initially we, we've talked so much about their new acquisitions having injury histories, and he, he was on the IL with uh, elbow issues last year. Um, how much stock do you put into these kind of reports early? We always I always look at it like, all right, it's it's early. It's the first couple of days. You're going to err on the side of caution. So if somebody's got a, a sore pinky, they're going to say, all right, let's take a step back, right? right? Is that how you view it? Well, this this is the time of what we in the news industry always like to call the nervous news. This is the nervous news time where you show up, how's everybody doing? And invariably somebody has got a hamstring is not cooperating or hasn't been able to report because of a travel issue. There's always, there is always, maybe not always, but often something. And so the something for the Mariners now is Santos, who, who is a very important pitcher for them. Uh, clearly they gave up, they gave up a lot to get him. As we talked about last week, I think it was, an appropriate trade in which they gave up a lot. I support the fact that they gave up a lot because it was, I think he's a very important pitcher for them. So I, I'm a little concerned. It is very early and it doesn't sound as though there are massive alarm bells uh, going up. I, I, I often go to if you're late getting into games and, and the, the blanket statement I'll make um, is that spring training is for pitchers. Spring training is for pitchers hitters for the most part. When it comes to their ability to get on the field and hit, a lot of those things are are not urgent in terms of getting on the field for the first game on February 25th. They can they can get ready in a shorter amount of time, but especially starting pitchers, if they're missing turns and if they're being held back from bullpens for a particular reason, then I get worried. Relievers, I'm not terribly concerned uh, at this stage for Santos, but it's it's worth watching because. As we've documented, he's a really, really important player. I, I would say this, and we, we talk about the Mariners' trades. Uh, I'm not just saying this just to rile up the fans again, but I did, uh, in the midst of my conversations today in Grapefruit League, I did ask Brian Snitker about Jared Kalnick, and he smiled. He smiled in a big way. And I do think that Brian is very bullish on what Kelnick is going to do for the for the Braves uh, this season. I just I just in full disclosure that that was the that was the Mariner topic that came up into my mind and it was there. <laughs> and I spoke with Jared's new manager, and Jared's new manager is excited. I just, just I have to report that because I'm a reporter. In full disclosure, <laughs> that's what I got. You're not sticking it to us, JP. I'm just I'm just reporting the facts. Okay, there you go. What all I right. know. That's all I got. Hey, uh, JP, we were looking uh, the other day at um, a projected lineup, and, you know, just uh, I'm just curious, like, looking around the rest of the league, are other teams, you know, equally looking at going, okay, there's maybe three or four ifs here. And the ifs here, you know, Mitch Hanniger, can he stay healthy? Um, JP Crawford, uh, can he have the same year? He had, you know, massive improvement uh, over the year before. Ty France... I mean, just, you know, there, there's like three or four, you know, can they get something out of their, their DH? Lots of question marks there. Is that pretty much the case with most teams, or is it, you know, something that they're kind of hanging on a thread a little bit as far as injuries go especially? No, it's a fair question. I think the Mariners have a normal range of questions for a team that, if things go well, could still win in the mid to high eighties. That's, that's what I see with the Mariners that I'm, as, as we speak, I've, again, I spent the day at Yankees camp 
And there was a lot of talk about Aaron Judge and Juan Soto, both of whom are in the Yankee lineup. And there is no one like either of them in the Mariner lineup, if, if we're just being honest. I mean, there's, 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 and again, it's relevant insofar as the Mariners are competing for the same thing, which is a World Series title, that the Yankees are and the Dodgers are. And you think about the Dodgers with Otani and Freeman and Betts. I mean, it's these teams, the Braves, Yankees, and Dodgers, Right now, I look at and say they have a special level of of depth to their lineup. And the Astros, you could argue, potentially still do as well. Uh, And so the Mariner lineup for me is somewhere in the middle of their own division and probably somewhere in the middle of the American League. They, They should have a solid lineup. I do think, to your point, they they need players to step up who have in their careers at varying times step up for this team to be a legitimate division winner, let's say. Polanco has to have not really an average Polanco year, but a good Polanco year. Hanniger has to be the same, a healthy to good year. Crawford, same. Cal Raleigh, same. There's And Ty France, we talked about him and, and – Maybe the mild surprise that he's still on the roster relative to where the expectations were when the offseason began. He's got to have a, a good to very good year for this team to really click. Uh, this team, for all its offensive flaws, a year ago came within a game or two of, of the team that eventually won the World Series. So they're clearly close. They're close because of their pitching. And, and we, we ask here how reliable is it for them to ask them to be as good pitching this year as they were a year ago with in some ways less depth remember they don't have a half season of 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 seawall necessarily with with this team there are some parts of this club that are not where they were a year ago and they're going to have to have the the proven players prove it again and be good and they're probably going to have to have some of the newer arrivals santos being one of them show that they're ready for prime time right away. And, and I think that's where there are some questions. A, a lot of teams have questions. The Mariners seem to have maybe a couple more questions than, than other teams that have similar aspirations. But I would also say this. Look at their division. The Rangers, Scherzer is out till midseason. DeGrom's out till midseason. There's no indication that they're going to bring Montgomery back. The Astros just had a bit of a scare with Justin Verlander. They don't have McCullers until halfway through the season. They don't have Garcia until halfway through the season. So the other teams in the division have some questions, too. It's just I think they're different kinds of questions in different parts of the the roster. I I tend to think I know a little bit more about what the Astros and the Rangers are going to do offensively than I do what the Mariners are going to do offensively. You know, we were talking about the the new additions and Mitch Hanniger, Mitch Garver, and Polanco, and all come with an injury history. And I was saying, you know, man, if you could get 100 games out of each of those guys, I was kind of setting that as a marker of success. Like that's, that's you know, when you go back and look at their, their track record, JP, I mean, twice, twice we've seen over 100 games out of, out of Mitch Hanniger. I believe it might only have been once for, for Garver. I know he's part-time player for part of his career. Uh, and then Polanco had, I think, three or four years. But the, combined, these are not guys that are over 100 games every year. So I kind of said 100 games would be a good marker. I had people texting in saying that's expecting setting the bar way too low. 
What, what's a fair expectation for these guys just in terms of availability? Is that, should we expect 120, 110? What's a, what's a fair number in your mind? I would say the Mariners signed Garver because they believe that with a DH focused set of obligations that he'll be able to play a lot more than 110 games. He should. I mean, if, if Garver, if Garver doesn't play 110, 120 games, I have a hard time seeing the Mariners get what they expected to from that contract. In my okay. opinion, when you look at it, and I think I think their look at it is 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 similar in that they believe they signed him to this role because they believe that his body is going to be able to handle it. Now mm-hmm. the tricky part here, which I think you're touching on, is what happens if Haniger has some issues physically, which to your point he has had in the past, and needs more DH days to facilitate that. Then what? That that's where a team that's got some questions from a health perspective, and then also, you know, the, the guy whose name we haven't even talked about yet is Julio, and mm-hmm. and you know I, I think that he's obviously an amazing player, one of the best athletes in the sport. He would probably tell you that he can do more than what he did last year, and I would say that for them to for the for the Mariners to win the division. Julio has got to play like an MVP. I'm not saying win it, but I've been an MVP voter in the past. I would like to think that for the Mariners to to be able to compete with Houston, with Texas, he's got to be somewhere on the hypothetical top five or top seven of someone's ballot. He's got to be that good. When you spend that kind of money on a player, it's with the expectation he's going to be able to carry you. And, and there were stretches where when he had a good month, he looked that way. When he had a, 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 more, a more average to below average month, you saw it in the way the Mariners played as a team. And then that's not an accident. He makes them go. And, and I think that it's an adjustment period. When, you're, when you sign a lifetime contract like that, life-changing deal for you, for your family, face of the franchise, face of the sport, one of the sports faces of the city, that's a lot on someone who is a young man who in another sport, if he grew up in the U S would sort of just be moving out of college, basically. I mean, this is, he's still a young guy. And I think that we, we need to remember that. And I also think that, that there's that balance of giving him the, the time and the grace to settle into the role, but also realize he's got to settle in at some point. I mean, that's, that's gotta be the, the mantle that he has, they signed him to a special contract because he's special. And, and if he plays and has a special year where he's talking, where he's being talked about as an MVP, the Mariners are going to be fine. And they're going to be able to have a chance against any team in the sport because he's that kind of a player, a magnetic player that when you combine him with an anchor behind the plate and one of the best rotations in the sport, you're, you got a chance. And, and I think that's, that's the question where he, he can be the eraser of a lot of other worries. If you're, if you're, if you're page right now, if you're looking at the Mariner depth chart and you're, you're penciling in your worries about Mitch Hanager, your worries about Garver and Polanco or anybody else, Julio is the eraser. He erases those worries if he plays like he can. Well, and I, I would say Cal Raleigh, too. I mean, you mentioned anchor behind the plate, JP. Uh, maybe we don't appreciate him, and maybe maybe this will be like a, a breakout year for him, but you just you, f- 
you see him hitting a home run from opposite sides of the plate in the same game against Boston. Um, you, just the way he handles the rotation. And then, you know, he's kind of a quiet guy before, but uh, you saw him thrown out. Remember they had that streak where he threw out like five or six base runners and like 15 yeah. games or something. I mean, and then the other thing, you know, the final, the final piece is, you know, he spoke his mind at the end of the year and everybody respected him for that. And I just feel like maybe he doesn't get enough love, but maybe, you know, he, he'll have some kind of a, a breakout where he's going to be one of those guys that you actually, you know, his name, no matter what major league baseball city you're in. Right, and people should feel that way about him. You you hit thirty home runs as a switch hitting catcher. That's that gets people's attention. That's what he did. I mean that that is. You look at the the history of the game and how many times that happens. I mean you're talking about the Jorge Posadas of the world that do it and have done it before. Uh, obviously, I'm, I had Jorge, I saw a picture of Jorge on the wall here at, at Steinbrenner Field, so I kind of had him in the back of my mind today. But that's that's Posada was in a lot of ways the conscience of the Yankees during those years. Jeter's the Hall of Famer. We know that. Posada was like the quiet engine of the team. And that's how I look at Cal Raleigh. And, and he can have, again, that's a lofty comparison. Posada, I just have the utmost respect for him. Uh, you know, he got Hall of Fame consideration when he, when he retired. Um, Cal Raleigh, if things go and project and progress the way that I believe they can for him, he can have that kind of a career. That that is a huge name for me to put on somebody because mm-hmm. of what Posada meant in the game for a long time. But that's that's the kind of player that Raleigh can aspire to. Veritek is a similar type of a guy. And if you do that for a team that makes the playoffs time and time again, you are in that conversation of, of being an all star catcher. And again, I, I think that the comparison might be apt. I mean, Julio, again, this is a lofty comparison, but Julio is like the jeter of of, of this team where he's the face of the franchise front and center moves the team. He's the guy, he's the hub, but, but Cal Raleigh, in a lot of ways is the Posada of this, uh, of the Mariners in terms of what he can mean. And, and I think for those of us that watch his team closely, I, was there a more valuable guy on the roster last year for, for six months than Cal Raleigh? I, I don't know that there was. Yeah. We can talk about wins above replacement and things like that and different ways to quantify it. And you might say George Kirby, uh, but I don't know when, when you got somebody behind the plate that often who hits 30 home runs and has the respect of a staff that, and I can't stress this, stress this enough. This is not an easy staff to catch in all the best ways. I mean, these dudes are, they have frontline ACE level stuff. It's not as though, and again, Greg Maddox is in the hall of fame, Greg Maddox, the command was pinpoint. He was not throwing a million miles an hour. He wasn't a quote-unquote easy guy to catch, but he was easier to catch than George Kirby, <laughs> who's got stuff that's coming off. I mean, just his stuff is overwhelming. He's got the attitude and bravado to match. Gilbert's got A-level stuff. Castillo is one of the, some of the hardest stuff, I believe, to catch in the game. I, I would just think it'd be a fun piece when you guys are down there with the Mariners um, again, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to do Mike's job for him here. I'm producing, but I would love to hear physically. Okay. Like if you sat down and said to Cal Raleigh, how do you physically feel different when you're done catching Castillo Kirby in terms of like how your hand hurts, how your knees hurt, how your back hurts. I mean like that stuff, the physical toll of the job, 
I, I've always been fascinated by that and, and just the way that the physical demand of catching a certain pitcher, it's almost like I've never covered boxing, but if you ask a boxer, okay, once you've boxed against Canelo Alvarez, how does your body feel differently the next day than when you fight this other guy? And I just think that it, it is the thud into your mitt, 130, 40, 50 pitches a game. How does it feel differently when it's Castillo versus Kirby? I just, that to me is an interesting question that I just think is, it's very inside baseball, but I find that, that a, to be a very interesting question to ask. John, how, how problematic, if at all, do you, do you see this being with this rotation that everybody's right-handed? They don't have a lefty in the lineup anymore or in the rotation anymore. Right. Now, it, it could be. So here's the thing. Uh, we'll, we'll see when, when they got a matchup against the Rangers and you say, well, well who's the lefty that you're going to want to slot in there to, to go up against Seager? Or, I mean, I think it's really, we talked about this when they played in the playoffs a couple of years ago. I mean, the, the Astros, you got Tucker and, and Jordan sitting there. That's not exactly a great feeling if you don't have a lefty. I mean, it's, it's going to. Now, again, Kirby, if you, if you were to ask George Kirby that question, he'd probably say, I'm afraid of no one, and he's right. He's not afraid of anybody, <laughs> I don't think. And I, and I don't think Luis Castillo is going to lose sleep tonight thinking about how am I going to pitch to Alvarez whenever the first time he faces him is going to be. I mean, you've got some A-level personalities in this rotation that are not going to be terribly worried about it. But I, I do think in the fullness of time, you do want to have someone that you can, you know, break them up a little bit. And I think that again, good veteran hitters. And I, I would say that in the same division, you know, Texas and Houston both have that. Of course, Houston no longer has Brantley. And the Angels lost a big lefty blanking on his name. Oh, that's right. Otani's not there anymore for the Angels. So that's another, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I mean, the, the, people come, people go in terms of the division and how it looks. Uh, but I, I, I do think that at some point you'd, you'd want to have one more lefty starter um, to be able to mix in and, and just give people a different look. And I think that was maybe part of Marco's um, talent, part of Ray's talent. I mean, it, it, the, the Mariners, I can't stress enough how unique of a situation it is that I realize Ray's is coming back from, from injury, but he's been a Cy Young winner. And, and in the same offseason that you would sort of let Marco and Ray go in the same offseason it's just not a lot of teams can do that like that's a very unique and then they, they get Di Sclafani and then spin him off I mean that's so that's that's a lot of guys they've given up in the in the span of an offseason almost no teams none in this day and age give up pitching like that in a single offseason and I, I I say it to acknowledge yeah there's some risk to it but also they feel that confidently in who they've got and, and obviously Hancock is part of that as well, where we may see him. He's also right-handed, by the way. But you may also see him come in and be, and be an element uh, of, of, the, of the overall pitching plan for the season. So th- there is some risk in the strategy. Um, would, I, would I love to see a lefty? Sure. But I would take a righty with stuff all day, and they've got some righties with big-time stuff. As always, John, we appreciate the conversation. Great stuff. Enjoy your time out there. Use some sunscreen. Don't get burnt out there, and uh, we will talk again next week. Sounds great, guys. I appreciate it. And, again, if the segment runs long with Cal Raleigh when you talk to him about how his glove feels differently when he's catching Kirby and and everybody else in Castillo, blame me. 
Say okay. this, this all comes from Morosi, and if the questions <laughs> don't quite land right, it's also my fault. So just, you know, again, I won't be there to defend myself, but you just say, Cal, it's all Morosi's fault. Here are some questions. And go from there. <laughs> all oh, right. Nice. Nice. You might use that more than once. Yeah, we're going to ask some really personal 100%. questions and blame yeah. it on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, you got it. But my, my pleasure. We're all teammates here. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you, John. All the best, guys. Thank you. There you go. John Morosi, live from Florida. He's got one eye on a baseball complex. The other eye is looking another direction at a football stadium. I think you were like, man, like, is, are they independent? Are they yeah, operating? He's, he's freaking people out around there, man. <laughs> so, yeah, good to, good to hear from John as we get that much closer to baseball season. If you guys tuned in in the middle of that, didn't catch it all, that conversation will be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Well, coming up, it will certainly be the highlight of this Thursday, of Thursdays leading up to the NFL draft. Seahawks president of football operations and GM John Schneider is going to join us next year live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. It's Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710.